You're listening to audio from the St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. How's everybody? Ooh, you ready for Thanksgiving? Okay, let's go. What, what did we hear? It's about time? Okay, all right, let's go. Well, uh, <laughs> all right, I'm excited. We're in uh, Matthew's Gospel. We've been taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount, and today we close up uh, this teaching series, True Happiness. Hear this reading from Scripture. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell and the floods came, and winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them one as, as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You know, I've lived in a lot of places with wide roads that went through them. <laughs> Kalamazoo, Michigan had I-94. It connected Detroit to Chicago and went out to Billings, Montana. Never been there. Then I lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which had I-96, which ran through it, and that went from the lake shore, which was quite beautiful, all the way to Detroit. And if you didn't go at least 82, you were going to die. <laughs> and then I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, which had I-65 that ran through it, which goes from Chicago all the way to Mobile, Alabama, and now Lexington, which has I-75, one of the longest interstate highways in the country from Sault Ste. Marie all the way to Miami, Florida. That's a long road, friends. And of course, we've got I-64, which connects us all in Kentucky, except for that game next Saturday. <laughs> and that road, of course, goes from West Virginia to St. Louis. But I've lived in a place, places, I should say, with all kinds of wide roads, and I've also lived in places that have all sorts of narrow roads, like Mackville, Kentucky, population 204. And I loved the narrow roads that ran through the countryside there. They would take you to all kinds of wonderful places like Miss Hazel's. And Miss Hazel, you would sit down and you would be there for at least three hours and she'd want to pray for half of the time. She'd ask you all about your life and didn't really 
care to share too much about hers except her family. There was another road that went to Mr. Leon's. Mr. Leon was so excited for the day that he would be reunited with his beloved wife who had passed some years before. Those roads took me to Dwayne and Jenny's house. Dwayne was a rancher, and they probably had enough beef in their freezer to last until Jesus returned. (laughs) And it was good, without a doubt. Those roads would take me from the town of Mackville through Harrodsburg, Kentucky, and all the way over the Kentucky River and that gorgeous bridge on US 68 to one of my favorite places, Asbury Seminary. And it would take me to the classroom of Dr. Beverly Johnson Miller. How did she ever put up with me? I'm so grateful. Or to Dr. Hunter's class and all the stories he would share about Muscle Beach and his time of evangelism that were there. Or to Dr. Collins' class as he'd share the breadth of theological knowledge. Or Dr. Steve Martin, who offered such great depth about the spiritual life. And then I moved other places, like from Louisville, there was a wonderful road that went to Crestwood to the office of one bishop, Lindsey Davis. And I thought what was so different about him is when you shook his hand, he didn't need to tell you, I'm the bishop. He just said, I'm Lindsey. And it's one of the things I absolutely love about the man. But those narrow roads have taken me all kinds of places. And I'm so grateful this Thanksgiving week, forgive me, I might get a little weepy, that those narrow roads have led Mandy and I to be here with all of you. I'm grateful and thankful for that because this is one of the best surprises I've ever had. We were talking about that this week. Thanks for the opportunity to be your pastor. Thanks for the joy of being in ministry with you. And it's these narrow roads that I really want to focus on today because that's what Jesus has to share with us as the Sermon on the Mount closes out. Notice what he says. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way or road is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way or road is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, there's been all kinds of debate about what it is that Jesus has to say here. Where is the gate? What gate is he talking about? Is he just being using hyperbole. And to be sure, Jesus has done that in other parts of his gospel teaching. You might remember Jesus says that it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So is that really what he's after? Is he just sharing this exaggerated kind of claim? I don't think so. In fact, scholarship has shown if you were to take a trip to Jerusalem you would see all sorts of narrow gates just like this in the city wall. And all sorts of guides would tell you this is exactly the gate that Jesus was talking about. I don't want to ruin your day, but you're probably getting taken. (laughs) So there were narrow gates everywhere. And to be sure, it was wide enough for a camel to go through. Maybe not this one, but the camel would have to be unburdened or, or take everything that it was carrying off to fit through the city wall. And when it comes to the narrow gate that Jesus is talking about, Some scholarship has made the suggestion, and I think with founded reasons, that this narrow gate Jesus is talking about would have existed until the 15th century when the Ottomans sacked the city of Jerusalem and tore down some of its walls. The gate would have existed not far from the palace of Herod and not far from Golgotha where Jesus died. 
In fact, it's thought to be the gate of the Essenes. Um, And there might have been the narrow gate that Jesus was talking about, a narrow opening in the wall that led to the city and to life. It's referenced, in fact, by all sorts of people, the Jewish historian Josephus, St. Jerome, then St. Thomas Aquinas, and finally, around the time of St. Anselm of Canterbury, we don't read about it much anymore. Of course, if the Ottomans sacked the city in the 15th century, it would make sense. Not only is their scholarship good, but the narrow gate would have existed exactly where we thought it was. But the point is this. There's two kinds of roads. There's two kinds of gates. There's a wide road or way which leads to a wide gate, and there's a narrow road or way which leads to a narrow gate. And all along the way, you've got to make the decision, what kind of roads am I going to travel? What sorts of gates will I walk through in life? And you've learned throughout this teaching series that there's two kinds of happiness. There's an eternal, conclusive kind of happiness that's often present tense. I'm happy simply because I am loved by God, I'm in relationship with God, and I come to find the fullness of my life in God. Or there's a conditional kind of happiness. And we always talk about it in terms of past tense or future tense. I was happy when my kids were little. I was happy when we were young and in love. Or I'll be happy when I get a new job or win the lottery or this kind of thing. There's conditional and there's conclusive. And that wide road to all sorts of conditional happiness, Jesus tells us, is filled with all sorts of destruction. There's destruction along its trail. We can make treasures, uh, we can make things, I should say, the treasure of our heart. We can be anxious about the things that we need. We can find all kinds of insecurity in wanting other people's affirmations. We're always fixed on how fast we can go down this major speedway of life. And yet what we tend to lose sight of at some point, that road is going to take a turn. And if you're moving that fast and distracted by everything else that's of no consequence in your life, where do you end up? The ditch or dead. And then there's a narrow road that Jesus talks about. And have you noticed about if you travel the narrow roads of Kentucky, you can only be fixed on what's about 100 feet in front of you. In fact, when you make those turns, you usually see your taillights as you're turning because they're so sharp. And you have to go more slowly as you progress down the road. The scenery is much more breathtaking. The people along the way are fantastic and would have you into their homes and treat you like family. The narrow way is filled with all kinds of life and life abundantly, we're told. You'll be less focused on the future because you can't afford it. You'll be less distracted by the past. All you can fixate on is what's right now. On that narrow road, you'll learn to be the version of you that God created you to be. The man or woman that God created you to be for a sacred purpose, to bring him joy, to bring transformation to the world, to lead other people through the narrow way and the narrow gate into the presence of God. It's not flashy, but it's filled with purpose. And here's why that journey down that road is so good. It leads to a gate that's narrow. Not everything or everyone gets in. And just like the camel going through the eye of a needle, you have to take everything off 
your anxiety, your anger, your burdens, your greed, your lust, your insecurity. You've got to leave it all behind to follow Jesus. It brings life. In fact, that's what our spiritual forefather, John Wesley, said. He said that the goal of our faith is not what we make it sometimes. We tend to talk about what does it take to, for somebody to get saved, and indeed that's important. Justification, without a doubt, it makes us right with God. But Wesley said the real goal of our faith was not just getting saved, but becoming like Christ. It started by getting saved, but becoming like Christ was the goal. In fact, Wesley said this, the goal of re religion is the renewal of the soul after the image of God and righteousness and true holiness. The narrow way leads to a narrow gate and to a house that's built on the rock. And that leads us to what I might say is the final secret to true happiness and a deeper life in Jesus Christ. And it's something like this. The more restrictive you are about what enters your life, the happier in Christ you'll be. The more restrictive you are about what enters your life, the happier in Christ you'll be. And let me tell you something, friends. This is the most difficult lesson for our culture to learn. This is why. It's completely at odds with everything that we're taught and told. Because in our culture, we have every freedom and every excess at your fingertips. You know this to be true. Pull out your phone. What can't you get from it? You can order anything, have anything, have access to anything, all at your fingertips. If you want it, you got it. And you're free to do whatever you want. And what our culture promises is that you have the freedom to do anything you want, have anything you want, say anything you want, be anything you want. And the problem is this, you don't. With every choice of freedom you make, there comes a cost. What you do, what you want, what you say, what you become, it affects your life. And so often it has the opposite effects. In this version of freedom, freedom is an idol. You make the world into your own image. Or you become the image of someone or something else. You see, wrong use of freedom is binding. It's painful. It's hateful. It's anxious. It leads you to harmful fruits in your life. When you take that wide road of life, what ends up happening? Well, there's no bumper guards on the side. And if you haven't noticed, down I-75, people like to play bumper cars. And it doesn't work out so well, does it? But the narrow road's different. The narrow road's slower. It's more intentional. It's present. It's fixated on what is, not what was or what will be. I spent some time with a monk. I know that sounds weird, but that's who you got for a pastor, I suppose. And he said this. It's one of the most profound things I've heard, and I don't think it's that profound, but its lesson's quite profound. And it goes something like this. No one likes discipline. Are you with me? Nobody likes discipline. It's not like when you start your... January 1st regimen of whatever it is you're getting rid of or taking on, nobody that first day goes, great. Or if you do, by day five, are you ready to give up? Because discipline's horrible, isn't it? 
I mean, we talk about how we love change and all this other stuff. We don't love change. We love consistency and sameness over and over and over again. We would totally do the movie, The Groundhog Day or whatever it is, if it could be guaranteed that's how life worked out. We don't like discipline at all. And yet what he says is at first, while it feels like discipline, it feels like pain, if we'll stick to it, what we'll recognize is the longer it is, it really leads to freedom in our lives. Because of this principle, the more restrictive you are about what gets into your life, the happier you'll be. You'll recognize that the wide road with all of its promises really doesn't have all that it's cracked up to be. And with all of the freedom you can exchange for going as fast as you want down the freeway, if you take the slower road to get there, you'll not only find greater purpose and meaning in your life, you'll find the presence of God in a way that you never have before. And that's the narrow road and the narrow gate which leads to a house that's built on the rock. It's filled with discipline, which doesn't sound fun and exciting. And most people, when they wake up on a Sunday morning, they want two quick steps. What does it take to do whatever it is that you're saying to do? And here's what I want to say to you. That's the problem in and of itself. Everybody wants it fast, just like the freeways that you travel. And that's not how it works with a life in Christ. If I were to tell you today, go to Malone's, pick up the best piece of meat that they've got and throw it in your microwave, what are you going to tell me? (laughs) Right? Sure, you'll kill all the germs and you can feed your stomach, but will it taste as good as it's supposed to? Not a chance. You got to warm up your green egg for about an hour and a half because that's about how long the darn thing takes. And then it takes time to cook it the right way. You've got to marinate it and season it and get it ready. But if you do, if you take the time with it, if you have the discipline for the slow road to get there, is not life or the steak anyway that much sweeter? Of course it is. Well, how do I do it, Brian? Well, it's filled with discipline. There are spiritual disciplines we've been talking about. And it starts with invitation. It's every one of our responsibility in this community to make a disciple this year. When's the last time you've invited somebody? And you think, well, why do we have to start with this one? This is the reason why. Christians today don't do it. Worshiping. Be here 40 out of 52 Sundays. Forming. Have personal spiritual time in the morning or the evening and be part of a group. Generosity. Build on it. And finally, serving. What's your ministry? How are you serving other people the way that Christ has served you? You know, I find that the spiritual life, we love Google Maps, don't we? And when we're stuck on the road and it's not moving as quickly as we want to, what do we do? Hey, can I get the quicker route, please? Is it wide? Does it get me there faster? Can I save 10 minutes? But that's not how the spiritual disciplines work. That's not what the narrow road is all about. The narrow road's slower. It's more disciplined. It's staying present. And it's practicing our lives in the presence of God. You want to do something powerful in your life this week of Thanksgiving, examine it and simply come before the Lord and ask, what's the wide road that I'm traveling? Why am I on it? What's it promised me? What have I yielded from it? What are the fruits of it? And God, what are the narrow roads that you'd lead me to? What am I missing out on? What is it that you have for me? Where would you have me travel next? What's your greatest desire for my life? 
And I guarantee you get alone with God for long enough, and He'll tell you. You might not like all of the answers, but God will speak into your life, and then you'll know. Why? Because this teaching that Jesus gives us, it yields results. Look at what He says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I don't know if you're aware, but it's widely accepted that all of the ethics in the Sermon on the Mount have been utilized by Western culture for years. If you look at our ethics today, in so many ways they're taken from the Sermon on the Mount. A number of academicians would would support this. And what's fascinating about what we do is the way that in Western culture we've tried to separate ethics from the source. It's almost as if we've tried to take the teaching of Jesus and separate it from the person of Jesus. And the minute you divorce belief and behavior, you end up with a problem. Because you either believe a certain set of propositions, but you don't behave in that way, or you try to behave in a certain way, but you have nothing upon which to ground it. And what Jesus is after in the Sermon on the Mount is both. The reason that the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount are great is because the God who gave them is great. His character is unchanging. It's true. It's rooted in love and not the kind of sappy stuff of this world. It's a holy and pure kind of love that God desires for each one of us. In the weather of this world, it constantly changes, doesn't it? The ethics of this world are constantly changing. What's our saying in football? If you ain't cheating, you're not trying. And guilty as charged, because that's been my team as of late. (laughs) How did we ever divorce the ethics from their source and simply say, well, you know, the rest of the world's doing it. The weather says this is okay. You can't do it. Well, I can see it happen. Jesus gives the sermon, and it probably looks like an 11 o'clock service here at St. Luke. (laughs) What's he after? What did he mean by that? And we were left with these two wonderful verses, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. You ever had that moment happen in your life? Or something you heard was so profound, you had to hang on it for a while and think about it, ruminate on it, and figure out, what am I going to do with this in my life? You know, I had that happen for me in 1999. I'll never forget sitting in a coffee shop with a friend who was a mentor to me. And he didn't say anything incredibly profound, but it was profound to me. He said this, you know, Brian, it's really not about how good you are. It's about how good God is. And while I'd been a Christian for a short time before that, what he helped me recognize is that the secret of the Sermon on the Mount really is true. God is really that good. He really longs to make our hearts filled and complete with love if we let him. But it's a narrow and disciplined road to get there, isn't it? And I find that so many people in life spend all of their time and resources traveling so fast down the highway, trying to manage one thing, how and when they'll die, and to make sure they have all the right toys and the right experiences along the way. And I think what Jesus is after is something radically different. 
He's saying if you want to know life, if you want to have real and abundant life, you got to follow me. And when you follow me and you cut off all the stuff at the periphery, when you get restrictive about what comes into your life, you'll find freedom unlike anything you've ever found. And it's that life down that narrow road that will lead you to a narrow gate and a house that's built on the rock. And that, my friends, is the Sermon on the Mount to a group of people who are going to die before they were 40 years old, Jesus says this, invest the time wisely. Be careful with who you follow and the roads you take to get there. And if you do it, God will bless you mightily for it. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful. We're grateful for these chapters in Matthew's gospel and the way they touch our hearts, the way they challenge and push us about everything from anxiety to anger, from hypocrisy to lust and greed, from making things the treasures of our hearts to the anxieties we feel over the needs that we truly have, from the insecurity that every one of us has over our inadequacies to recognizing the sufficiency of who you are and what you give, the grace that you've offered every single one of us. And so, God, in this time of reflection, as Miss Cheryl comes to bless us with her gift of music that you've provided, we ask that you would search and probe our hearts to consider the wide and the narrow roads. And, God, we pray most of all that in this time of reflection and worship, You'd help us surrender and not only follow, but to have the discipline to follow you more closely. We pray today, God, that you would not only be Lord and Savior in our lives, we pray all the more that you would be leader. Lead us forward into all of your purposes and plans for our lives. And we make this prayer in and through the mighty name of Jesus and the people of God said,